Judith Lay here, once again opening the door to the archive room, Manx Radio's treasure chest of stories of island life from years gone by, told by the people who were there. So come on in, and let me take you for another gentle stroll down Manx memory lane. And here's a clue to where I'm standing now. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. From Manx Radio. Yes, a vintage station jingle is just the start of so much great material stacked up on the shelf labelled Christmas. And that's where I'm going to be for the next two editions of this programme, tonight and tomorrow evening too. I've got so many great seasonal stories to share, so let's get started. David Collister is probably one of the most accomplished presenter-producers ever to walk the corridors of Manx Radio. His first broadcast was soon after the station opened in 1965. David sang to his guitar some American country-style songs that were played on Stuart Lord's breakfast show. This led to David presenting folk and country music programmes and then becoming, in 1983, a key part of the station as co-presenter of the new daily mandate programme with Charles Gard and then went on to produce and present many other great series, including Time to Remember, which has left us a real Manx social history through fascinating conversations with people sharing their life stories. But whilst we're familiar with David's voice, gently coaxing these stories from his guests, we seldom hear David himself being interviewed. Well, that is, until one Christmas, nearly 15 years ago, when Geraldine Jameson drew the three wise men of Manx Radio together for some festive reminiscing. Round the table were Terry Kringle, Bernie Quayle, and David Collister, who had this to say about his childhood. The first ten years of my life I lived in a, in a farm cottage. It was a two-up, two-down. It housed, I think, six people, including me at the time. Uh, my maternal grandmother was blind, and she occupied one of the downstairs rooms. She was in bed, but she did have the only radio in the house, which was supplied by Randalls, Randalls the battery company. They used to come around week by week, top yes, up your nuclear yeah. battery and so on. I could only hear this radio from the other room. I never got close enough to it because I, I wasn't supposed to, as a kid, go into grandmother's room, you see. And it was a house without electricity. It was a house without running water in the house. In fact, we drew the water from what was called laughingly a well, which was nothing much more than a cattle trough at the side of the road. I think the quality of the water might have been suspect. Whether it was all uh, boiled before use, I have no idea. But I would go to bed with a, a candlestick and a candle to light me up the stairs. Yes. We were very, very poor. I mean, when you hung up your stockings, early memories anyway, you got little more than. Don't forget, I'd be four years old when the war started. You'd get an apple, you'd get an orange, you might get a pair of socks. Some nuts would be very likely. Yeah. I don't remember that we ever had sweets and chocolates at that time. We always had, at the bottom of this sock, sock or stocking, something was wrapped up in scores and scores of wrappings. And we knew what it was going to be, eventually. It was a piece of coal. And, uh, and my mother's idea was it was for luck. You had a piece of coal for luck. 
always, my father used to have paper streamers, which were fitted diagonally across the ceiling of the, the room. The middle light. Yeah, that yes. was right. Those are the decorations. We might have had a tree. I don't remember trees, though I remember well the smell of the Christmas trees. But my presents, other than whatever was in this stocking, were made by my father. My father was very, very useful as an artist. He, he painted. He, in fact, many of his paintings he did as presents at Christmas and gave them to members of the family. And he used to make our toys. He, he made farmyards with all the animals. He'd, he'd cut them out with frets and so on. And he'd paint them. And we had all cattle and, and sheep and, and so on. They were absolutely fabulous. Of course, I don't know what ever happened to them. These things get lost eventually, don't they? So from David Collister to the second wise man at Geraldine Jameson's Christmas table, it's Bernie Quayle, whose first broadcast on Manx Radio was in July 1967. And the trio is completed by Terry Kringle, who joined Manx Radio in 1969 when he moved from being a journalist with the Examiner newspaper to start Manx Radio's first independent news service. The magic of Christmas for me was learning the first Christmas songs rather than carols. And I was a pupil at St Mary's and I think the very first one I ever learned was Away in a Manger. And I remember having to do it as a little party piece from my aunties. Yes, childhood Christmases, I think, are the most important ones. The memories that you have and belief in Father Christmas. It was always Father Christmas, never Santa Claus. That's right. Mm-hmm. And I can remember being so excited. I just wouldn't go to bed. I maybe was about four or five years of age. My mother was saying, for heaven's sakes, he's not going to come if you don't go to bed. And she said, listen. I can hear the sleigh bells. And so she opened the window into the backyard, and sure enough, I could hear the sleigh bells too. It was incredible. So she said, he must be just flying around waiting for you to go to bed. And I dashed upstairs, jumped into bed, and lay there with the covers over me. It wasn't until a year or so later that my brother revealed my father had gone upstairs into the bathroom right above the kitchen window, and the little reins I used to have with the little bells on, <laughs> hanging outside the window, shaking these things. <laughs> I was so convinced that Santa was flying around the house and I could hear the sleigh bells. But in those days, the extended family, my father had three brothers, my mother had sisters living on the island, all with children, and there was a wonderful spirit of all getting together. And aunts and uncles, as David was just saying, they used to make things. I had so many little sweaters made for me, scarves and gloves and things like that. It was a magical time, it really was. What about you, Terry? Family Christmases more than anything else. I was born in 1931, so my earliest memories of Christmas as a small boy were before the war, and the war changed a lot of things. Certainly as far as family unity was concerned, after the war, my family split up a lot. You know, they'd married men from outside the island or women from outside the island. But what I remember was my family were all in the boarding house business. And the biggest boarding house we had was the Clarendon Unlocked Promenade, which has now been demolished. And that was run by a granddad, Kringle. And he would have the whole family there for Christmas Day. And of course, the boarding houses had a fine big dining room where the visitors used to have their meals. So that would where we'd have our Christmas party. And when the families got there, all the ladies went down into the kitchens to do all the cooking. And the men stayed upstairs and had a few drinks, you know, Guinness and uh, bottled beer and things like that. Spirits, not so much. We weren't that well off. 
And of course, all the children were there. We had a Christmas tree. We all had presents with us. And we played games more than anything else. Usually board games. It'd be Ludo or or, uh, Snakes and Ladders. And then Monopoly eventually. Yeah. Then you have Hoopla with the the, the jam jar rings over the hooks. Yes, that's right. Up on the wall. All that (laughs) kind of thing. And uh, of course, we had the Christmas pudding as well with the meal. And there would be threepenny bits in the Christmas puddings. And you had to eat your Christmas pudding very carefully because you could swallow <laughs> one of those. But anyway, so that was Christmas Day. And on Boxing Day, the same thing happened. But now we moved further down the boarding house and family line. So my father, uh, who was the eldest son, Boxing Day's celebration was pretty similar. And that was held at our boarding house. And then on New Year's Day, we went to another boarding house run by an Auntie Lena up in Peel Road. But as I say, there was always plenty of facilities there and plenty of cooking and expert cooking. But the one thing I do remember more than anything else about Christmas is, in those days, children only got presents at Christmas and on their birthdays. Mm -hmm. There were no intermediary presents of of any time. I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. That was the way it was. Just wondered uh, what the best toys you ever had when you were small. It was a, a set of Roy Rogers guns with the, the, the holsters and everything. Right. That was the best one I ever had. For me, it was toy soldiers. Still is, yes. Yeah, I, 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 I as, collect them. As we uh, probably got a bit, my father probably earned a bit more, I suspect. I did eventually get a tricycle. I remember having a tricycle. I had one a little pedal car. And I had a rocking horse at some time as well. I lost something at Christmas uh, about 1946 or 1947. By then, I was a radio fanatic. I used to listen to practically everything that was on the BBC. On this particular Christmas, there was one of my favourite programmes was Itmar, Tommy Hanley and and, uh, his Mrs. Moptier. And in this particular Radio Times this Christmas, there was a a full page or a couple of pages, I think, about Itmar and a whole lot of photographs in it. And I must have this. I've got to put it in my collection. When I went to look for that Radio Times, it was nowhere in the house. I'd be about 10, 11, maybe at the time, something like that. And uh, I said to my mother, I want the Radio Times. Oh, I don't know where it is. Well, I've got to have it. You know, as kids are, I've got to have it. (laughs) So I went searching everywhere. Never found the thing, never got over it. And I suspect she used it to light the fire with (laughs) I didn't lose the excitement when we had our own children, of course, as, as time went by. Uh, it became an exciting time again for fathers, you see. And I'm sure that's probably true of uh, most, most fathers. Absolutely, yeah. Certainly for mothers who had to do all the work. <laughs> and speaking of work, there couldn't really be a conversation with the three wise men of broadcasting without some radio-related stories. Appropriately, these have to do with Christmas and New Year on Manx Radio. We used to close down at 7pm. 1967, somehow Radio Voice had got permission for us to reopen at 11 and go through to 1 o'clock on the first New Year's Eve broadcast. And I drew the short straw, do a music programme and wish everybody Happy New Year. As you know, the studios were on the promenade and the front door I had neglected to lock. I was there on my own and people started wandering in, having been to the pub and going on from there. And they were just walking straight into the studio. It was then just past midnight and people were bringing drinks in as well. We made it through and it was just so loose and so relaxed, but it was just an incredible experience, the very first New Year's Eve broadcast from Manx Radio. I can go along with that as well because this, this is not so much Christmas, it's New Year. 
usually in the 1980s when they had their New Year's Eve program. There were a lot of people having a lot of fun there, but somebody had to be there on New Year's Day to start the broadcasting. <laughs> and it was Joe Soap who got in for that almost every year for about 10, 12 years, I think. Well, I go back to the time when the Christmas party, the staff Christmas party, was staff only, and it was held in the studio. We had drinks and music, and we had our own sort of uh, entertainment created by Charlie Webster, who was programme producer and engineer. And Charlie used to spend all year listening for bloopers and mistakes. <laughs> and at the Christmas party, he'd play the lot. And we all finished up yes. on that. And Charlie Webster passed that job on to Howard Kane, who now spends his year picking up the slips and trips we've all made over the past 12 months. But instead of keeping them for the staff Christmas party, he's made a programme out of it. And you can listen to a selection of our best, or should I say, our worst bloopers at half past 12 next Tuesday, the 27th. Now to a very different sound, one which could be as familiar as a Christmas carol if you happen to be a poultry farmer. As I quickly discovered, if you've got anything to do with a turkey farm, the traditional bird dominates not just thoughts of Christmas, but pretty much the whole of your year, as Mary Radcliffe explains. Well, we used to breed them ourselves. Yeah. They would start to lay the eggs in about March mm. and then uh, four weeks and they would be hatched out. And they're very difficult things to rear. Right. Turkey chicks, yes, you know, until they get oh, three or four months. They're awful delicate things. We had a lot of little turkeys running around and the rain had come on and they were so wet I took them in the kitchen and put them in. We didn't use the oven, I might tell you, but of the range. But I put the turkeys in it to dry off. And I went out in our dairy when I was doing the butter. And the minister came. So I said, oh, yes, come on, come on in the kitchen. And when I got in the kitchen, the turkeys had revived and they were all sitting on the kitchen <laughs> it was so true that, I mean, the kitchen table, he might have thought he was going to get his tea But as the festive season approaches, there's not quite so much to laugh about. Oh, it was terrible hard work at Christmas, mm. you know. When Christmas Day came, by the time we'd done the geese, I mean, one year we had about 100 geese to dress and deliver. We always had the Christmas dinner, but, I mean, it was really hard work. Mm -hmm. yeah. For Mary Radcliffe's daughter, Claire, now Claire Quayle, her earliest Christmas memories growing up on the farm are of the preparation of the poultry. But to a child, this was full of novelty rather than hard work. Christmas always started with the preparation of the poultry. You know, uh, Mum said about all, all the the hard work that went into it. But I don't know do we realise when we were children what work went into this. But I can remember all the ladies round the kitchen table, which was then turned into the preparation of these turkeys. The men would kill them and pluck them and they'd be brought up from the bottom yard up into the kitchen and there'd be my grandmothers, both of them. There was a ladies that worked for mum and a lady that used to just come down on a Thursday. But they'd be all around the kitchen table and they would all have their aprons on. And we always had broth that day, homemade broth. It was always homemade broth the day that they were doing the poultry because it was done beforehand because they were always so busy that day. 
And it may sound so gruesome now, but, you know, you'd come home and there'd be buckets on the floor of the, you know, their, their innards all sitting there. But that was part of Christmas, you know, mm-hmm. that, and I can still smell that smell of the poultry being done, you know. And one of the ladies, I must have been quite young, and I would be quite cheeky. I mean, you know, I'd be giving her a stick about something. And she used to get the legs of the turkeys and with the sinews still on. And she used to come up behind the back of your neck and she'd tickle your back of your neck with these turkey legs. And one day I, I did it to her when I was a bit bigger, a bit braver. She chased me round the yard afterwards. <laughs> it was so funny. But she got her own back. You weren't uh, cheeky to Janet ever again. <laughs> but, you know, that was the day. And then the coldest place in the farmhouse when I was young was the bathroom. So the bathroom was turned into a larder. And we used to put a table in. And my sisters and I would put them into uh, greaseproof paper and take them upstairs into the bathroom and put them on this table. And we learnt our maths because we were given the job of weighing the turkeys, putting the, working out the price of them and putting on the labels. And then we would have a list of the customers and who wanted what, or you'd have to work out the nearest one to whatever they wanted. But our biggest day was the day that we delivered the poultry. We would go to Douglas and we we had quite a lot of customers in Douglas. And as children we would go and then we went to see Father Christmas in the co-op. Afterwards was our big treat. And, uh, you know, that was Christmas, you know, that was the beginning of Christmas. Christmas lunch was always a bit later because Dad would always have to do the milking or the fixing up, as we used to call it, before you would even sort of start Christmas. That was being on a farm, that's what it meant, you know. So Dad would be out doing the milking, so he would come in, if you're lucky, nine, half nine, and then we were allowed to open our presents, but not until then. You know, is he finished yet? Is he finished yet? And then we would all sit down to, uh, it was more like a Sunday lunch, really. And then, you know, Daddy would have to go out again to fix up again at night. So, you know, it was not really like the Christmas days that we've got today. No. It was much more uh, simpler. And I don't think we had the same expectations that there are today. You know, um, Christmas is hyped up so much, you know, must have the perfect Christmas. But looking back, I think we did have the perfect Christmas, but in it's much simpler. Ramsey was very thriving then, and that you could get everything you needed in Ramsey then. It was very busy and very active, and but it didn't go on for a long time. It was Christmas Day and Boxing Day, and then that was it. When I was small, going back an awful long way now, <laughs> Mr. Brew used to have a, show, a butcher shop where Morton's is now. And that's where we put our geese that weren't going to private customers. And when we took them to be delivered, he always had, and it was, I just loved to see them, he always had the pigs killed and raid outside the shop and their mouths open and oranges in them. I thought, oh, this is really Christmas, you know. Christmas was so much... At night, you know, uh, Christmas Eve and everything, shops were open. Do you remember them Christmases, Annie, when the shops was lit with oil lamps and gas and they looked cosy and warm and inviting and folks had crowd round for a skis at this pass? 
There was one feller I mind made his winder a pitcher with bunloafs and holly. My, my! Me mouth waters yet at the thought of them, for they were the best on the island. Oh, aye! And all them turkeys and geese in the butchers, fat as mullocks, chickens too, a fine mob, and joints of beef from the prize Christmas cattle, and a pig with an orange in his gob. And the town'd be busy till midnight, with people shopping or having a couche, and you'd hear, "All again, old Mrs. Kelly," and "Same to you and blind why no, Mr. Carouche." And you remember the stars in the sky, gal, sparkling like jewels in the keen frosty air, as the choirs made their way singing carols from the market through the streets to the square. Oh, aye, them those was the good old days, Annie. When hosses clip clopped in dog cart or brougham, and God's peace filled folks' hearts as they parted, to spend a real old-fashioned Christmas at home. Manx Choir, Cleogory Tui. And before that, Jack Corrin recreated Christmas Eve in the Town through the poetry of Kathleen Farragher. Claire Quayle is a cook and runs a successful catering business and credits her mum, Mary Radcliffe, with teaching her everything she knows. There was always cooking at home. There was never a, a week goes by that she, mum wasn't baking a cake. Cooking is not an exact science, you know. I often feel... It's the mood you're in the day you cook. If your ensemble things just sail through and everything you do or produce will be beautiful, and some days if you're just not the right way out, <laughs> nothing turns out right. What do you reckon the secret of a nice Christmas cake is? It is a secret. <laughs> <laughs> I think trial and error is the best. <laughs> Dorothy Boyd from Kirk Michael joining Claire and Mary there with some very down-to-earth cooking advice. And another turkey story, this time from Marilyn Cannell, might be all too familiar to you if, like Marilyn, you too are from a farming family. My uncle farmed turkeys and his family present to our family would be a turkey and our family present to his family was Christmas cake which my mother made very well. Um, but being a turkey farmer, turkeys always uh, developed at different rates. And nobody wanted the huge turkeys. So on Christmas Eve, we generally had an absolutely enormous turkey that nobody wanted. And my memory of Christmas food is, in, in an era before fridges and freezers, our house had a cellar. So once we had our first uh, meal of the turkey, it would go down the cellar stairs and sit down there. And um, the next four or five days, Mother said, if you want some tea, go down the cellar and find the turkey. So we would crawl down the stairs and cut ourselves some turkey. And you know, after about four or five days, there was this sort of carcass in pride of place down in the cellar. And really, ever since then, I don't like turkey very much. <laughs> we have roast beef. And I'm afraid that's where we have to close the archive room door, but only for a day.
I'll be back tomorrow, Friday, for a specially extended visit to the archive room starting at five o'clock. And I do hope you can join me again for a whole hour of Christmas nostalgia, featuring the voices of Noel Kringle, Dot Tilbury, John Kenyuk, Pat Corrin, Hubert and Doreen Kameen and Doris Madrill. But if you can't join me tomorrow, don't forget all episodes of The Archive Room are available as podcasts and they're now even easier to find. Go to manxradio.com and from the podcast drop-down menu on the homepage, just look for The Archive Room. You'll find this and all previous episodes of The Archive Room for you to listen at your leisure. And today's sign-off? Well, I think it has to be another vintage Christmas greeting. This is Judith saying thank you for listening and I wish you a very good evening. It's Christmas, Christmas. Manx Radio wishes you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.